Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Gary Ridge. Gary is the chairman and CEO at the WD40 company. Gary, thanks for coming on the show. G'day, Tats. Good to be here with you. Great. So for people that don't know, can you give us a quick rundown of the WD story? Oh, sure. Well, WD40, the company was born 67 years ago this September in San Diego. It was actually called Rocket Chemical Company then. Mm -hmm. There was a problem with condensation and corrosion in the umbilical cord of the Atlas space rocket. So the chemists got together and started working on formulas to try and solve that problem. Well, you know, back then, um, thankfully, failure didn't uh, scare them off because it took them 40 formulas to get to the one that actually solved the problem. And that's why we're called WD 40, Water Displacement 40th Formula. Today, we market and manufacture and, and sell the blue and yellow can with the uh, little red top in 176 countries around the world. We have a range of products called WD-40 Specialist, which was an extension of the brand. And we also own the 3-in-1 brand, which is known in many countries around the world. About 60 to 70% of our consumption is used by tradesmen, artisans, factories, workshops, and professionals. And the balance of the volume is people stopping squeaks and doing general maintenance work at home. You can buy our product across multiple trade channels. And the biggest asset we have in the company is our people. Our purpose, uh, our reason for being is we exist to create positive, lasting memories, solving problems in factories, homes, and workshops around the world. And our just cause is to make life better at home and at work. At home and at work for the people who use our product, and at home and at work for our tribe members, the wonderful people who go come to work at WD40 Company around the world every day. Awesome. Now, you've been with the company uh, over three decades. What originally drew you to the, the company? I joined the company in 1987 in Australia. I'd actually known the brand before that because I worked for the distributor in Australia. Mm. My dad was an engineer, and I can clearly remember sharing with him one day that I'd been asked to join WD-40, and he said, you can't go wrong with that stuff, son. <laughs> so maybe one of the big influences was the recommendation of my dad. But looking back, it's been such an exciting journey, moving from Australia to the US, and then given the privilege to lead the company through our global expansion. Absolutely. So what do you credit your ability to move up through the organization? Because not, not everyone is able to do that, right? Starting a company and move all the way up. And you've been in the leadership position for, I guess, over 20 years, right? Yeah, I'm consciously incompetent. I'm not very smart. That's how I got where I am, because uh, I have to depend on smart people. Mm. So I'm passionate about creating a place where people go to work every day. They make a contribution to something bigger than themselves. They learn something new. 
they're protected and set free by a set of values and they go home happy. Aristotle said in 384 BC that pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. However, it's sad that it's a fact that 70% of people who go to work every day are either disengaged and actively disengaged. And that's because we as leaders forget that it's really not about us. It's about the people that we get the privilege to lead. Leadership is not about being in charge. It's about taking care of the people in your charge. Mm, That makes sense. Now, you mentioned earlier that your brand is available in over 170 countries. Now, international expansion is difficult and costly sometimes. Like, How did you navigate that? What lessons did you learn through that process? You can't do it all at once. We, when I got the opportunity to lead the company back in 1997, we were about a fifth of the size in revenue that we are now. And about 80% of our business was just in the United States. So from now, then until now, now 65% of our business is outside of the United States and we've been growing at, at you know, a, a regular rate year over year. So you can buy market share with time. You can buy market share with money. We've bought market share combining time and money. So we're playing the infinite game, not the finite game. We're, uh, we're building our brand day by day. You know, what's exciting is today someone in India and probably someone in China and maybe someone in Russia and definitely someone in many other countries around the world will meet our can for the very first time. So building a, a global business, is, it's not easy, but it just takes patience and being very deliberate. We focus in on what we wanted to do and then we we went after the big opportunities first and, and we continue to do that. We're, we're no way near done. We've got a lot of runway still in front of us, so we're, we're, we're excited about that. Yeah, so for people that don't understand the brand building side of things, what are the activities that help you solidify a brand? Well, let me give you a lovely example, and I'll use the country of China as the example. Sure. You know, I first took WD-40 into China probably back in the late 80s when I was based in Australia. So the first question you need to ask yourself is, do you need me? Is there a need for your product? So in the 80s, when I went into China and I asked that question in many different ways, the answer was really no. Mm. The problem was being solved by dirty diesel oil, ignorance, and a hammer. So until you can answer that question, do you need me, there's really no business commercial plan that you can put together. Once the answer to the question is yes, do you need me, and many years later China did need us because dirty diesel oil was not going to do the job of protecting million-dollar valued equipment that's at Foxconn pumping out iPhones. So WD-40 was now do you need me. The next question is then, do you know me? Because, mm. you know, you have to know me. So our job then is to identify the people who want to know us more than others. So, again, it's focus. And then the third question is, can you buy me? Can you get me? Can you set up a distribution network that will effectively get the product to the people who need it most? So the three questions are, do you need me? Do you know me? 
can you buy me? And is there a commercial or a business plan that can be put together to do that in a way that allows you to build a enduring company over time? Mm. Now, the distribution piece is very interesting. Do you start slowly on that distribution piece? Do you partner it? Do you buy that distribution? How do you, how do you think through that? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, we do start. So what we do is we, we identify, firstly, who are, the, who are the, the core end users of our product that we're looking for. Then we do a process called market mapping, and we map a market to determine where they are. And then we may partner with distribution networks to get our product to, to them, or we may decide to do it ourselves. In most cases, we've partnered and then moved into some other form of, of structure over time. But we leverage infrastructure that is in place. But again, focus is very, very important. I read a great book many years ago written by Al Rees, and it said, focus, your future depends on it. And mm -hmm. you can't do it all. You can't be like a blind dog in an abattoir or a meat house running around and taking bites at every carcass. You've got to decide which are the prime cuts of meat you want to go after first, and then you have to go after them. Otherwise, you won't be able to build an effective business model that will reward you with what you need to be rewarded with to build the economy of your business. Mm. How critical is core, core value fit with partners? Absolutely. You know, we're a values-driven organization and in a relationship, if you're not in a, in a relationship with someone who shares your values, then that relationship is going to be very, very difficult. So mm. whether you're a tribe member at WD40, because we call ourselves a tribe, not a team, or one of our vendor partners or one of our distributor partners, our values are the number one asset that we talk about is we need to be aligned on our values. Mm. Now, I know you talk about this subject a lot. How do, you, how do you become a great leader or what are the characteristics of a great leader? Number one, you must ensure that empathy eats your ego instead of ego eating your empathy. I guess that is the biggest, one of the biggest roadblocks to leadership is you forget about who it's about. It's not about you, it's about those you lead. You've got to be comfortable being vulnerable. You've got to get very, very comfortable with the three most important words you'll ever learn as a leader. I don't know. You've got to be a great, you've got to be comfortable with communication. You've got to be present, mindful. You make sure you don't try and control things outside of your reach. You need to have a vision. You need to be clear about what the strategy may be in your organization. And you need to be grateful. And you need to be dedicated to helping people step into the best version of their personal self. Because if you can continue to be a great coach, not a manager, we don't have any managers in our company. We don't have a title manager. Everybody is a coach. And the job of a coach is to help people step into the best version of their personal self. Mm, that's a good point. Now you brought up coach. How do you balance trying to motivate or inspire people and holding them accountable for performance and driving that performance? Well, two things. Most people disappoint each other because there's no clarity around what we expect from each other. But the first thing is, you know, our motto is we're not here to mark your paper. We're here to help you get an A. So what does an A look like? Let's describe what that looks like. Then as the coach, it's my job not to mark your paper, but help you get that A. 
So if you can clearly define what the desired outcome is, then the coach's role is to help people get there. And it's also a balance between being tough-minded and tender-hearted. And the balance is in the middle. You've got to be like being a parent. I mean, it's the same. So, But you have to truly be dedicated to the fact that your role as a coach is to help the person you're coaching play the best game they can. And what's unique about coaches and great coaches is you never see them on the playing field. They're mm. on the sideline or in the locker room. And I've never seen a great coach go to the podium and pick up the prize instead of the player. But a lot of coaches try to do that. You know, I talk a lot about Al, the soul-sucking CEO, and he's got a number of attributes that are really undesirable. Mm -hmm. And it's his behaviors that suck the soul out of people and create these terrible employee engagement numbers that can you imagine at least the time we're going through now, right, which is a very challenging time. Can you imagine trying to lead an organization now where 70% of the people that are in your organization are not only disengaged, but they're deeply disengaged because of what we're going through? So, but some of the things that Al does, he wants to be the master of control. He wants to know it all. Leaders evolve and love their people. He thinks he's corporate royalty. Leaders are always in servant leadership mode. He thinks learning is for losers. Leaders are expected to be competent and treasure the power of learning. His ego does eat his empathy. Instead of leaders being connected and having high emotional intelligence, bad leader always has all the answers. Great leaders love learning moments and love you know, involving people. The soul-sucking CEO must always be right. Great leaders have a heart of gold and a backbone of steel. They don't have to always be right. The bad soul-sucking leader has a fear-based culture. Great leaders are champions of hope. And there's a difference between pragmatic op optimism and hope and being over-optimistic. Hope is about the future. The soul-sucking CEO is a micromanager. He thinks micromanagement is, is absolutely essential. Leaders know that micromanagement, great leaders know that micromanagement is not scalable. Bad leaders never do what they say they're going to do. Great leaders always do what they say they're going to do. And great leaders value the, the gift and the treasure of feedback. Al, the soul-sucking CEO, never wants feedback. Mm, yeah, those are very good points. Now, what are some of the tough lessons you've learned while leading WD40? I think the, the tough lessons are really getting comfortable with being vulnerable and making sure you get comfortable with the three most powerful words, I don't know. And then outside of that, you know, that's really the core of leadership. Outside of that, we're going to have challenges. You know, we say we don't make mistakes. I've never made a mistake in my life. <laughs> I have learning moments. Mm -hmm. And the learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that needs to be openly and freely shared to benefit all people. So be very open and vulnerable to being okay with having a learning moment, but then don't waste it. Put it to work. If it's something that is a positive learning moment, turn up the volume, share it out, give it away, tell people. If it's a negative learning moment, turn down the volume, share it out and give it out to people so they don't have the same learning moment. So it's really important to be a giver, not a taker. 
Mm. Now, you spend a lot of time in your business, but do you have any hobbies outside of work or anything that you pursue? Sure. I travel a lot, not so much now, but I also love to teach. I teach at the University of San Diego. I teach at the San Diego State University. I teach at at UPenn in a class on culture, so I love that. You know, those are kind of the things that I that I like to do the most of. I'm very curious, so I like to explore things. But I, I'd say people talk about work-life balance. And mm. when your work gives you a meaningful life, I have a meaningful life because I enjoy what I'm doing. I have the most amazing job in the world. I get to get up every morning and help people create positive, lasting memories. And the most exciting part of that is finding all the different ways to do it. So mm. I, that's what I love. Mm. So create positive, lasting memories. Okay. So what are some of your favorite moments where you've helped help that happen? What, what is something that's really memorable? You think back as, God, that, that felt good to, to help someone. I'll give you a lovely example. Yeah. And it's always around seeing people do better. And, yeah. and become better. But the manager of our, our country manager in China, Grace, yeah. she was our first employee in China 15 years ago. Yeah. And she started in our office as our office manager. She went on from that and she had an interest and she moved into human resources. And then she had an interest in supply chain. So we helped her do a, a master's degree in supply chain management. She then ran our supply chain for Asia, and then she moved from that into our sales director from China. And about a year and a half ago, uh, we appointed her our country manager for China. So that was, to me, one of the most special moments to be able to see a person that 15 years ago started as an office manager. We were able to help them improve their skill base. They had dedication to the purpose, and now they're leading one of our fastest-growing business units in the world. And we have a lot of stories like that. So my biggest moments of great memories is seeing people that we've been able to help along the way move into and have a better life because of the way we've been able to help them and they've wanted to develop themselves. Mm, Great story. Now, what's the, the future look like for you? I get up every day to create positive. The future's beautiful. I mean, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. I really have a passion around sharing how important it is to have a highly engaged workforce. And you get that by having a purpose, a great set of values, and being dedicated to helping the people that are in your organization do and learn the best they can. So uh, I just, you know, my future is stay stupid and help people get better. I love that. Stay stupid. So you're a busy guy, I would assume, because you're running a, a global organization. What sort of habits or tips keep you sort of in sync, you know, and sort of moving forward in the right direction? Well, I often people often say I'm busy. I don't like the word busy. I say mm. I have an abundance of worthwhile work, ah. which is a little bit different. Busy sounds like an excuse. Sure. You know, I, I think you've got to really be focused on what's important. We can't do it all. So, you know, what are the things that, and I often ask myself, how can I make the most significant positive difference today? Mm. So you have a plan, 
you, you don't micromanage, you try not to uh, control things that are outside of your reach, and we only have time, talent, treasure, and technology. Those are the only four things we have, and none of them are overabundant, particularly time. Time is not infinite. We, we give it away every day and we never get it back. So I think it's really important to focus in on what really is our purpose and what do we want to achieve and then do what the best you can. And if it doesn't work out, it's okay. Let it go. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. So when you're teaching, people ask you lots of different questions. Like what sort of common themes like do people approach you about all the time? A lot of the questions you've been putting to me today, you know, what yeah. is it about leadership? It's Leadership is, is pretty simple, but it's hard to do. And, you know, fortunately, you know, over the past 20 plus years, by really dedicating ourselves to the process of servant leadership, we've proven that you can build a highly engaged workforce. Like we have an employee engagement of 93%. Yeah. 99% of our people say they love to tell people they work at our company. 97% of our tribe say they respect their coach, who is their boss. Most people leave organizations because they hate their boss. So how do you do that? Well, you do it by you know, respecting the fact that pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Aristotle told us that in 384 BC, we're just slow learners. And we've identified the behaviors of Al, the soul-sucking CEO, who creates this toxic culture. So let's not have those behaviors. And let's have the behaviors that do create cultures where people really treated with respect and dignity, are held accountable, are cared about, and are expected to be responsible. Mm, that makes sense. So you mentioned your stats about employee engagement and stuff. What sort of tools do you use to measure that? Is that an in-house solution or do you use something that is sort of off the shelf? Well, it, uh, we've been using the same company to do it since we started and in 1999, a company here in San Diego. They do employee engagement surveys for a number of companies it's right now we do it we do it every two years we used to do it every year but as we've got up into the higher numbers it takes us a little while to move the needle a little more because the numbers are so high and we it's completely confidential it's not compulsory although we get a 95 percent participation rate we do it in seven languages and when we get the results, we give the results back to our people because they're the ones that if they say, this is the result, we say, this is what you told us. Now, what are we going to do together to change the outcome of this if we need to? So it's a disciplined process and it's uh, been happening since 1999. Mm. So I think people, people come to you and ask, you know, many favors or things, things to do. But flipping the coin, if you could have one ask, you know, one ask to the, the world, what would it be? Something someone can help you with, what, what would that sort of ask be? Take a deep, deep drink of gratitude and give it to other people. Grateful. I like that. So is, is there anything that, that you'd like to share to our listeners that maybe that, a question I didn't ask or a thing that you wanted to bring up? It can make a difference, you know. Business has the biggest opportunity ever to make a difference in the world. And happy people going home create happy families. Happy families create happy communities. Happy communities create a happy world. It's all about the people. People are the people are the things that make it happen. So if you want to make a difference in the world, build an organization where 
you treat people with care, candor, accountability, and responsibility, and build an organization where people go home happy. And the end result is you'll have a very, very, very successful organization as well. Because if you take care of your people, your people will take care of your customers, and your customers will take care of your shareholders. Makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much, Gary. My pleasure. Great to be with you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.